2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. That is the word of God. I guess the question is, how should we, how should we live our lives amongst unbelievers? Just to set the scene for this passage, let me, uh, let me bring you back to a previous passage we had some weeks ago, simply to refresh our memory and restate exactly who it is we are and where we belong. Back then, the question we looked at was, where is your home? And we went at a time also to John 17, verse 14, uh, to get an understanding from Jesus of what and who we are and where is our home. It says in that verse, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So we concluded at that time that our home is in heaven with God. A funny thing, when we consider the world in the midst of all the fighting and the disharmony which consistently is in every corner of the world, that world still seems to be able to claim that they are fully focused on peace and unity. It defies logic. But any unity they actually claim that they desire, any peace that they say they want to achieve has, has to have all its foundation anchored in a total agreement and commitment to the ideology and the standards and the values that they hold. And we really guess we can't blame them for that. That is actually, after all, what we want, except that what we want is... We want them to understand our values and the values we have are those of the Lord, not some sinful man-made ideology that is against the Lord. We tend to, from time to time, make sure and make this issue far, far more complicated than in truthful it really needs to be. But let us pray, let us let some clarity from this passage as to who we are and how we should live. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we do come to you to ask that you will indeed widen our understanding of who it is that we are and how we should live. 
and how we practically can live out what Paul teaches us here in this passage. May you guide us by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When we uh, try to reach an understanding of some better clarity on all these sort of things, we need to also be pretty careful. We need to be very focused, that we focus on the biblical side of it rather than some worldly political way of looking at how all these things should be and certainly no sort of uh, um, political correctness creeping into our churches. Paul opens with this line in verse 14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Well, on the face of it, it's really quite simple when you read it like that. To be yoked with anyone can be both good, but it can also be really, really bad. Uh, see, if we go to Exodus in chapter 6 there, the Lord uh, has been telling Moses to tell the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. Not a good thing. Well, it's good to be removed from it, but to be a slave... And further in Numbers 25, so Israel yoked themselves to Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burnt against them. Again, a really bad form of yoke. And in Deuteronomy, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. So we can get this understanding that being yoked can be very, very unhelpful indeed. And in a case, as it were, with Egyptians, and the unequal yoking there was between the ox and, and, and the bulls. Ah, the donkey, of course. It's kind of a, a, a picture that is used uh, to show us how you misuse things, how the, peop- the, the, the donkey and the ox or the Egyptians and the Israelites is a misusing situation. It's a wrong fellowship. And it's just misguided. In short, being wrongfully yoked is going to be really bad for you. Being rightfully yoked, however, as we are with fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, can and of course will be incredibly encouraging and also very powerful. And Paul expands on these lines of do not be yoked. He says, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what does fellowship can what what uh, or what fellowship can light have with darkness, and what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? See all these questions. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, they almost become rhetorical in nature. The answer should be so simple. We ought not to have anything in common. We should not have fellowship with unbelievers. It's just not possible to have fellowship. I'm not saying we can't have acquaintances, but fellowship is deeper. And harmony, there's none. It's no existence. We see the world today where the, where the Christians are being attacked, and you certainly can't take any idols with you to the Lord. Idolatry. Idolatry was, after all, the biggest 
of the sins committed by the Israelites and indeed became the major reason why they were also banished to Babylon for 70 years. Punishment. All of this idolatry was brought on by importing the traditions and the worship of the Canaanites that were living in the land, the very land the Lord had designated to be the land of his people. They've come in there, they've been told to remove them and they didn't, and then they take on the values and the worship styles of the Canaanites. Big mistake. So why aren't we to adopt worldly traditions? Well, again, it's a really simple question for us. It's requiring an even more simple answer because worldly traditions are opposing to God. Right back in the second century, there was an African Christian man called Tertullian and he coined a phrase even then, what does Jerusalem have to do with Athens? He was opposing any thought whatever that the philosophers of Athens could have added any value whatsoever to the gospel. They did not belong together. I also had that discussion with a lecturer at one point and proposed to to him that the primary study of man ought to be and should be theology. And he tells me that he actually thought it should be philosophy. To which I suggested that I don't think Adam, nor Noah, nor Abraham, any of those guys would ever have given philosophy a second thought. But they certainly thought of God. And from reading the Bible and receiving what God teaches, also hence what Paul knows, it is quite obvious that other studies than theology really matters much less. Is that really a problem then today? I will suggest to you that if it was a problem in those early days, really way back, even in the second century, it presents us with a much wider and a much more hurtful problem in today's life as a Christian. In September 2009, uh, there was a study and an issue of a report estimating that 80% of the acts of religious persecution around the world was aimed at Christians, making Christians the most persecuted religious group in history. And it's just growing. And what about then on a local level? What about here, Blue Mountains? Well, firstly, we know that the world is a much smaller place today with the way we traveled of jet planes and all the rest of it. It's sort of the same thing as we have seen over the last few weeks or months is what is a problem in the United States of America soon becomes a problem here within days of starting in America. We adopt their problems and bring them into our society here. We know from the Bible that God called people from all races, from all nations, without any consideration for skin color or ethnicity, all to be his children. Sadly, among some Christians, this understanding doesn't seem to have sunk in, that there is no race. When Paul speaks of the Gentiles in the Bible, it is meant to designate anybody, anybody that is not a Jew. doesn't matter who we are. We are all Gentiles. 
He doesn't name us by nation or by colour. We live in a country today in Australia where the situation is much like what Israelites lived in when they returned from Egypt. Abraham had started his life in what we probably know today as either Iraq or, or even Kuwait. Ended up settling in what we now know as the country of Israel. This was the land they returned to as the 12 tribes of Jacob, also called Israel. And they took possession of the land according to the will of God. He took them there, led them there, put them in there. And the fact that the British, in the early days, sent their prison ships to Australia because America actually rejected them, (laughs) then, well, maybe that wasn't what God had willed per se, but it did, it did bring the gospel to Australia, after all. And Jeff Bullock, the Christian man some 20-whatever years ago, he actually wrote a song called The Great Southland. It goes like this. This is the great Southland of the Holy Spirit, the land of red dust and plains and summer rains, and this sunburnt land we will see floods, and to this great Southland his spirit comes. I think those are wonderful words about this is God's country. In the light of the commands that we've been given and that we can read about in Romans 10, it says, but I asked, did they not hear? And of course they did. The voice has gone out from all the earth in the words to the ends of the world. Well, in terms of Europe, where we came from originally, the white man came out from England, uh, this pretty well was the end of the world. It was always God's will that have the gospel brought to and preached in Australia. Not to conquer a people, mind you, but to call those in the great south land to be his people. So the question we need to ask is certainly also provide an answer for is very simple. Will it be for the benefit of the people that we live amongst if we were to pervert the gospel by adding worldly and idolatrous parts to it? Of course not. Not going to do anything for them. If we were to stand up here and tell you that some of your sins are actually okay with God, and you have nothing to fear. You'll be okay, mate. Then, probably, would you then not write to the presbytery and ask them, well, at least, to remove me from this church? I most assuredly hope that each of you have a love for Jesus so deep that you will do what is right in his eyes and get rid of a man that would think like that. All those questions Paul asked of us, if all those things can live together, even if remotely rhetorical, really spells out a totally irrational life. And why would it be irrational? Because it's ungodly. For we are the temple of the living God, Paul says, and God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. He doesn't make any difference to who or where they come from. God so lovingly placed his Holy Spirit in our hearts and blessed blessed us by guiding us each and every day. 
God no longer dwells in the temple in Jerusalem, but inside each and every believer, making you and I his holy temple. I don't know how often you ponder that in your heart, that you, as sinful as we are, we are the holy temple of God because he made us that. Do you therefore really think that it's appropriate to bring in some traditional spiritual values and mix them into your life rather than teaching the world that those values are not of God? And by the way, on that note, there are no parts, no parts of any landform, water, air, trees, rocks, plants, animals, foods, medicines, minerals, or anything else in creation that doesn't belong to its maker. It doesn't belong to the people of the land. It belongs to God. Everything is his. It tells us that in Colossians' passage. It is created by him and for him. He sustains it. It is his. And to acknowledge anything other than that, we read about in Romans chapter 1 in the last verse. It says, Although they know God's righteous decree and those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to, continue to do these things, but they approve of those who practice them. Don't be part of it. Don't approve of the wrong things that are being done. And to acknowledge anything other than that will most assuredly pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. To my dear brothers and sisters, will the words of God through Paul in Galatians 1, 7 and 8. Evidently, he says, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. That's pretty heavy words, eternally condemned. Does Paul really mean that? Well, if we read his instructions, when he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, he says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them you might fight the good fight. Holding to the faith and good conscience, some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hyamenus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Yes, he certainly means it. I guess we can take it as that, yes. Paul is consistent in his harsh treatment of those who willfully will pervert the gospel. And he wants Timothy, but he also wants you and I to hold to these same values and the way to do that is really quite practical. In verse 17, this today's passage, therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Teach no, touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Come out from them and be separate. It's simple. Is that even possible? I hear you ask. That we can actually go out from them and separate us from the world. Well, we can't just make our home on top of a pole. You know, we've just read about that. You know, some people in the olden days, way, way back, 
they would go and live on a pole and separate themselves from the world simply to avoid the world and avoid sinfulness. But if we were to do that, how would we then be able to evangelize? How would we be able to share our faith with other people if we completely take ourselves out of the world? How would we be able to love and care for the very people that God has plans for? We can't, so we've got to be here. It won't be easy to fully live this out as we have to live with Jesus. Only he was ever able to mingle with the world and yet maintain his holiness and his righteousness. That's difficult for you and I. But we are to do this in his strength with the guarding of his Holy Spirit that he placed in us. And when we fail and we fall, he will lift us up and restore us, which he does time and time again, to go and fight the good fight yet again tomorrow. Maybe we just have to be aware of all the pitfalls that present themselves to us. We just need to be a little bit more aware of what is it the world is actually doing to us. We know them to be a big problem in the Old Testament days and maybe even more so in the intertestamental periods between the Old and New where the Pharisees would lift the value of their traditions above that of the servanthood to the Lord. And that had been repeated ever since to the detriment of those doing it. And of course, as well as those under such people's teaching. So if we teach people the wrong thing, we, we are probably the worst. Since we have these promises, beloved, he says, well, we already received these promises. Everything we got here, we have already got it. We have, in fact, already received what was promised, that of salvation. And then he doubles down on us. He says, when he writes, beloved, we are, that is, you and I, we are the beloved children of God already. It's amazing. And since that's the truth, he says, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates the body and spirit. See, worldly desires of values and traditions, and the list can be as long as you are, or even longer. Just read the first chapter of Romans. And many other passengers, you'll find the list, a list of things, of sinful things, that will serve to contaminate you, if you let it. We need to separate your mind from the world. We don't need to think like them. We need to not not act like them. We need to live a different life altogether. Don't approve of what they do. If we take a people group that are doing the wrong thing and we make that an approval for them, saying that is okay for you to do that, we have just told them that what they're doing is correct when it isn't. That's not loving. And such separation will serve you well and be part of the sanctification that eventually will lead, as Paul says in the last words, he said, perfect holiness out of reverence for God. That's what we need to have. We need to start thinking about, in reverence of God, how do I need to live my life? Is there things I need to change? Are there people I need to separate from? 
because they're doing things. And by me being with them and approving of them, I'm actually hurting them. All of this has to be out of reverence for God. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come to you to ask that you will strengthen us, that we will live as you want us to live, that we will separate us when we need to, but that we will be there to care for people and love them, share your gospel with them at every opportunity. But in all things, Lord, keep us strong and focused. May indeed our reverence for you be our guide. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.